this uh, psalm that we're going to look at today is kind of a break from where we've been looking. Um, we've been looking at psalms that really are, are heavy hitting on what is going on in the world and, and some of the, the kind of struggles that the psalmists have had with just sin not seemingly being punished in the world and just all of this going on around them. David especially, was fight, a lot of his psalms deal with during battles. I mean, David was a warrior king. He spent a lot of time fighting people. He spent a lot of time running from his enemies, uh, especially when he was being chased by Saul. And he was running. When he was being chased by his son, he was running, and he was hiding in caves. He was hiding with his men. Um, when he was with, running from Absalom, he was hiding with his men because he didn't want to fight his son. And so there's a lot of this kind of anger and, and like, God, why are you not acting? Why are you not reacting to what is going on in the world? Well, we're looking at Psalm 16 today, and Psalm 16 is a little bit different. Uh, Psalm 16 uh, is a psalm by David. It is attributed to him. Um, it is a miktam, which is some sort of musical term. Uh, we've kind of lost the meaning of it. There's a couple of phrases that are used in psalms that we've really lost the meaning of. They're most likely musical terms for the instrumentalists or for the vocalists. So we've lost a little bit of those meanings, um, but uh, this is attributed to David. Um, and because of the fact that there is no seemingly fights going on, there's no seeming struggle going on in this psalm, a lot of historians who have really studied the psalms attribute it to the early part of David's reign. Um, so this would have been after he was made king, it would have been past when he was fighting with Saul and before he started kind of going around and fighting the other nations. So it was a big time of peace. And it adds a little bit different light to what David writes. Um, so I think it's just a, impressive the way that he goes through this. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings and blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your psalms that just show images of your glory on earth. Um, and in, in struggles that these human authors had, they still find time to praise you. And as they look around at the world and, and they see uh, different sins being just running rampant and they see uh, the people that are not following after you, their hearts turn towards you even more. So we pray that we also will turn towards you ever more as we study these Psalms and as we look to your word. And we pray that your wisdom comes through and shows us a uh, deeper understanding of what you have for us through this Psalm that David wrote. We pray all this. 
through your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Now, the, the cool thing about this psalm is it starts off um, with this just sovereign expression of who God is. And, and it, it doesn't see, seem like it's that strong there because of just, it, there's no declaration of attributes of God. There's, there's nothing like that tells you specifically, but David is writing about the blessings of God. It's one of the things he writes through this entire psalm. And he just handles all these blessings. Um, these are some of the blessings that he, there we go, um, that he has for us in the verses that correspond. He talks about the food and drink um, that he has. That's where he says, my Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Um, he, he references the lot that um, God has given him, pleasant places, beautiful inheritance, uh, the counsel and instructions that the Lord gives him, security, even bodily security. Those two things kind of are both in here. Uh, he has a soul security that's in there, the path of life he references, and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Um, these are just blessings that God has given, sovereign blessings that David sees throughout this psalm and throughout his life. So as he goes through this, um, we see these blessings repeated. Um, there, there's just themes that just go through all of the Psalms, but are really made evident in Psalm 16. And the really cool thing about Psalm 16 uh, if, is if, if you resonate with some of those words and you kind of are like, I think I've heard them a lot. It's not just from reading through the Psalms. Um, hopefully you read them a couple weeks ago when we were in Psalm 16. But there is... Uh, this psalm is actually used heavily in Acts. Um, when the day of Pentecost comes and the tongues of fire descend and the Holy Spirit is uh, given to the apostles and they go out and then Peter starts to preach, he quotes this psalm. Uh, he quotes verses 8 to 10 in Acts 2, verses 25 to 28. And he uses this to show that David was writing about Jesus. And we're going to get to that part when we start breaking it down verse by verse, but he's writing about our Lord, and that was one of the things that we see all of these blessings that David writes about are made manifest because of Christ. So then later in Acts, Paul uses verse 10 for the exact same thing, and, and Peter and Paul both are using, um, they're both going around verse 10, that Peter uses a little bit more, but it just, let your Holy One see corruption. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. That's what David writes, and he's writing about Christ. He's writing about the future, and, and he, before that, says, you will not abandon me, and the reason he knows that God will not abandon him is because he would not let his Holy One see corruption. Now, this psalm is broken down really into four different parts. Um, these are the four parts and the, the verses that correspond to them. Uh, he starts out with just confidence in the Lord. And you can read that right at the beginning. He, he gets into the experiences of faith, to just the things he's seen in his life. Uh, and then he proclaims who the Lord is and what he's going to do in response to the Lord. And then he summarizes it all with more experiences of life. And, and these kind of the experiences of his life and faith go into his future and, and what that looks like. 
So let's start looking at the beginning of this psalm. Uh, I think verse 1 is one of those verses that just, uh, just can hit really hard if you've studied the psalms a lot because he starts out with this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now that O God there is Adonai, this would be Lord, that would be the ruler, that's, that's who David is looking to. Uh, but he also takes this, take refuge, and that's one of the themes that really permeates the Psalms. It's, it's in most of the Psalms, the exact phrasing that David uses is seen in Psalm 7, 11, and 17, in addition to Psalm 16. So all these Psalms that are right around this psalm in the book of Psalms that deal with the same parts of Scripture. If you remember, the, the Psalms all basically go with the first five books of the Bible, and they're the songs that were sung as that Scripture would have been read. So as, the, as David writes this, he's using the same language. And that refuge is kind of hard in, in our day to really think about and understand but if you remember, David spent so much time in the wilderness. He was running from his enemies. He was chasing enemies. He was going. And all of this travel in the wilderness, um, especially in the wilderness there, you don't have, I mean, you can't just stop at, you know, a Motel 8 and stop in and get a room. You're out in the wilderness. And there's weather coming through and there's wild animals and there's all these dangers that he would have had to face. These are the things he's reflecting back on and seeing that God provided for him in that time. God gave him a refuge. One of the other ones that we, we've sung a lot, but he, that is used in Psalms, is a steadfast tower. And these are these just images that all the psalmists are using to show that God has provided for them shelter. Something that they couldn't get on their own. And this isn't just a shelter of like physical shelter, but it's in addition, um, and especially here where we're looking, where we're in the kingdom, there's no wars going on, there's nothing going on that David's out in the actual wilderness. All that the shelter he's really talking about here is a soul shelter. He's looking at this and saying, you have provided me a refuge from sin. You provided me this place to go to escape and stay away from the sins that bring me down. So this, this first verse here, just the, even the first part of the first verse, just starts to set up what David is saying in this whole psalm. And he goes on to say, you are my Lord, again, I have no good apart from you. That, that good, he, he is attributing everything every single good thing that ever happened to him or is in his life to the Lord. I think sometimes we struggle with that. I know I do. I really struggle sometimes saying, you know, I go out and it, especially like when I, I go out and have a really good audition and I get in a show, I'm like, oh, that was, I did a really good job. But David really takes that whole thought and says, it's never of me. I never, I wasn't king because of anything I did. I never won any fights because of anything I did. It was all because of the Lord. And he just, everything that, every blessing that David has, he's attributing to God and what God has done in his life and what God has given him. And that's just, I think, a, a very good place for us to make sure that we are. 
and we meditate on those verses and, and just start to think through, where do we say, well, God gave me the ability, but I did the work, and, and just turn that around and say, you know, I may have done something, but I didn't do it on my own. I didn't do it of my own power. I didn't get anything because of me. Because I think David really points that out here, that all good things come from the Lord, and there is no good apart from him. And I think that's one of those struggles that we can have in our lives. David goes on, and he starts talking about these walk, people who walk blameless, and the saints. And he, uh, he says, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now these saints, we can, that word that he is using, uh, it, there's been a lot of scholarly debate about what it's specifically, he's, who he's referencing. He could be referencing the Levitical priests. He could be referencing, there's a lot of different things. The real thing here is they are the true followers of God. Whether it was specifically the priest or he was just looking at the nation and he was saying, these people that follow you, they are the saints. Um, we see Paul use the same words really later in the New Testament when he says the saints who are alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's talking about believers. And that's what David is talking about. He's talking about the people who follow God in truth. And he wants to say, to I mean, he, he just calls them the excellent ones. And in them is all of his delight. I think as the king of the nation, if, if he would be leading, if he's following God, but he's not leading his people, that's going to be a struggle for him. But here he sees that because of his leadership and because of what God is doing through him, he is seeing people following the Lord. And that's, I think, where this delight comes from. That's where this thought of who he is just delighting in. And I think that's one of the, the things that David says. Um, one of the other translations calls them glorious ones. And uh, that is kind of just what he's declaring, is saying that they are the reason I can delight in the Lord. It's not even because he follows the Lord. It's because of the people that he is leading following the Lord and watching the nation follow the Lord. That is what David is delighting in. And I think that's, that's one of the things that we can sometimes forget about is that we, in turn, we're to be disciple-making disciples. Well, if we're making disciples, but those disciples aren't following the Lord, what are, what are we really doing? But if we can see them following the Lord, our delight needs to be in that. And it, it, David really delighted in the nation following the Lord, and I think that we need to as well. He's going to go on this turn now, and he's going to, he's going to start talking about these other people in uh, verse 4. Um, and this, this is where he's going to contrast the people that are following the Lord and those that are not, those that are not looking to God, they are not following who he is. And he says, he says of them that there's sorrow. Um, and I think that, that word almost in our translation is too soft, but it, it's just this deep sorrow that really there's no replacement for. Um, almost a deep despair that there's no hope. And he says that they run after another God. 
and he's talking about these people, they're not just, oh, you know, I follow something else. I turn away from God and follow something. They are actively pursuing another God. They are actively running after other gods. And that is just a, there's a deep sorrow in David that, that and they, he says that their sorrows shall multiply. And we've seen this in the other Psalms where they're going through and they're listing all these sins and the things that are not being punished by the Lord. And they say, but I know that you will do something and they will be punished in the end. And David uses the same thing here. And he doesn't go through this long list of the, the people that aren't following God. He doesn't start saying, I see all these things going on and you're not doing anything, God. He just said, simply says, those that run after other gods, their sorrows are going to be multiplied. They're going to multiply greatly. They are not going to be taking all these blessings. I mean, we looked at those blessings that are listed throughout this. None of those belong to the people that are running after other gods. And it's really interesting, this, the next phrase that he uses. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. And the reason that this is interesting is there's really can be kind of this understanding of just their regular blood sacrifices they give to their, their gods. David's going to have nothing in part of. But I think that there's an even deeper understanding, and we see it in Isaiah 57. And I'm going to read it, and this is, this is verses 5 and 6. You who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rock, among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? It's the Lord just kind of cursing them, saying, your, your lot is in these stones. That is what you get. And he, the blood offering that they're, they're giving is of their children. They are, they are slaughtering and sacrificing their children to these gods. I think that's a reference that David is really making here. And this is beyond just an innocent looking at other gods or innocent worshiping other gods. Like they're actively doing destructive things for these other gods. And that reference that he says that he will not pour out these offerings because he doesn't want any part of this. And he takes it even a step further by saying he will not take their names on his lips. He doesn't mention any of these gods. He doesn't even call their idols by anything other than they're just something other than God. And that is, that is just his way of saying, I'm not even going to give them name in my psalm because I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want anything to do with their sacrifices. I don't want anything to do with their gods. I don't want anything to do with these people. Their sorrows are going to be multiplied. And if we go back to the beginning, the first three verses, we can just see that he is saying the saints are excellent. They are in whom I delight. Um, I take refuge in the Lord. I have no good apart from the Lord. All good things come from the Lord. And those that don't follow the Lord, those that follow other gods, their sorrows will multiply. There, there is a deep sorrow, I think, in David's heart as he sees this type of worship. But he doesn't want anything to do with it. He doesn't want to let the people descend to this type of worship. So he won't even mention the names of these idols. 
He won't even caution his people by name to stay away from them because that is how far they are an abomination to the Lord. Then David continues and he starts going on this kind of experience of faith. These are the things that have happened in his life and and some of the, the things that we can look at. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Um, and as I said earlier, that's a blessing of like food and drink. But he's not just talking a physical blessing. He says, it is, it is the Lord that is my blessing and my cup. It is the Lord that is the blessing himself. Not anything that he has given David, but is actually his presence that is the blessing. And it's an interesting way to put that because we often think of these things as the Lord blesses us in this way, this way, this way, this way. But it's David starts off by just saying, the Lord himself in my life is a blessing. Regardless of anything I gain from that, he is my portion and my cup. And then he goes on and he starts talking about these things. You are my lot. Um, it, he says, um, you're my portion, you're my lot, you're the, the lines, these are boundary lines, have fallen for me in pleasant places, and then he talks about an inheritance. These are all the words that God used when they were going to take the land of Canaan. When he was sending them in and saying to conquer, he says, I give this as your portion, this is your lot, Those are, that is what David is referencing, this place that God has provided for them. Every aspect of where they are, of this kingdom, was provided by God. And these verses just start to heavily reference God's provision for his people. And they are just a, a, just a reference to both the sustenance that God has given and the place that God has given in their people. And in uh, Jeremiah, God actually calls the nation of Israel, his inheritance. So we always think like he gives the land as the inheritance to the people, but the people are the inheritance to God. They are God's inheritance. They are God's people. And these are the the things that David starts to bring out. Um, And then just some of those, those blessings and the description that David uses, I think are just some powerful. He says they're pleasant and they're beautiful. Um, these are some of the, the words that we use when we start talking about very good things. We, we use beautiful to describe, like that's, that's kind of our high end of when something is really, really pretty. And pleasant is like, it, like we, we probably would use something stronger there, but it's a really good thing. And these, this inheritance that God has provided, that David is looking on, is a pleasant and beautiful thing. This land is pleasant and beautiful. The continued sustenance of the kingdom is pleasant and beautiful. But all this goes back to that beginning of verse 5. It is because of the Lord's presence. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. Those are the things that lead up to this, what is going on in the pleasant places and the beautiful inheritance. It's because of the Lord and his presence in the kingdom and in David's life. Then David goes on and he, he starts this proclamation of the Lord. You can also say that, that this 
almost goes back to the confidence in the Lord because it's the same thing. There's confidence in, the, in what the Lord has done, and that is where David goes. But I, I like to say it's the proclamation of who the Lord is and what he has done. And David starts it off by saying, I bless the Lord because he gives me counsel. And that, that blessing that David gives to the Lord is because of the counsel. Um, he, this word can be translated also as praise. And uh, the praise that David is, the word that he is using is seen in, throughout Psalms. I'm not going to read you all the Psalms that it's in in the verses because it's, it's a good list though of psalms that this word is used. Um, it's one of the things that we get to the end, we get the Hallel Psalms, or the praise psalms. They shout hallelujah to the Lord. The, the psalms are, a, a large collection of the psalms are songs of praise. And here, David finally gets this point, he just says, I bless the Lord, I praise the Lord, I give thanks to the Lord because he gives me counsel. This is, this is an intimate counsel that the Lord gives. This is like the, the deep down knowledge. If you think about David going after Goliath, like it was, it was in his heart that he was like, he is blaspheming against the Lord. It was that type of counsel that's just deep inside that David knows is right because it comes from the Lord. And because of that counsel, David blesses the Lord, he praises God for who he is. And he's really in some ways proclaiming that God does this. Then he goes on, he says, in the night also, my heart instructs me. That's really interesting because that is actually incorrectly translated. I'll give, you, I'll give you the correct translation. In the night also, my kidneys instruct me. Okay, that sounds a little weird. But that is actually where, like, we think about it as our heart leads us, but that's not how they would have understood it. And in fact, even now in a lot of other cultures, your kidneys, because that's where your, the major blood is flowing from, is what would be equivalent to our heart. So that's the words that David uses. This is just an understanding that God has given him just instruction and counsel so deep in his soul that he follows it day and night. And that day and night can re refer to actual, like, day and night. I mean, it's daytime here and it's, it's night in China right now. We could talk about that, but it's also the actual days and nights of our lives, or the good times and bad times. And David has gone through, I mean, a lot of bad times. He's going to go forward, he's going to go through more bad times after he wrote this psalm. But those times, he sees and seeks counsel of the Lord, and the Lord provides it. As he says, in the night also, my heart instructs me. Uh, it is in those times that the Lord instructs him through his heart, through his innermost being. And David is, again, just proclaiming who God is and what God has done in his life through those things. Because he has provided these things. He has provided this counsel. And this counsel, I mean, the Lord talks about David as a man after my own heart. And it's amazing how this shows that David just had an intimate relationship with God. It was God's direct counsel that David praised him for. And he goes on, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. And this setting the Lord before him is just a sign of obedience. So he is praising the Lord, he has an intimate counsel with the Lord, and he's obedient to the Lord's will. 
And I think that's some of those struggles that we have. Sometimes we're not always obedient to God. David wasn't always obedient to God either. But he tries and he says it here, I've set the Lord always before me. And then he, he uses a phrase that is um, just one of the most powerful phrases he, because that he is at my right hand. And that's, I think, really powerful because he's saying God is right here all the time. He's always at my side. In the good times, in the bads, he's always at my side. He is, this is an intimate walk with God. And if you really start studying scriptures and you study worship, uh, I think the, the very beginning of scriptures, when we go in the garden and we're in Genesis and we're looking at worship in, in the garden, that's what it was. It was an intimate walk with God. Adam went walking with God in the cool of the day. Adam got the chance to walk in the garden and just hold a conversation with God right by his side. This is the type of intimacy that David is really referring to. Now we know that David, like us, is separated from God due to sin. So there wasn't as intimate of a walk as Adam had, but he still has that intimate relationship that God is at his right hand at all times. And because of that, he says, I shall not be shaken. Now, that is a promise of God uh, that is said that the wise will not be shaken. It is seen throughout Psalms. It is seen in Proverbs. Um, Psalms 15, 21, and 62 all say it. Proverbs 10 and 12 also say this promise that, that you will not be shaken if you have God by your side. In fact, that at my right hand is seen in Psalm 73, 109, 110, and 121. The same exact phrasing. These are phrases that are repetitive throughout Psalms. These are the kind of images that the psalmists all are using to show who God is. He is someone at my right hand. Um, he is someone that is by my side, and because of that, I will not be shaken. I will be firm, and I will stand firm because of God's presence in my life. This is kind of the, the crux of like where David is going in this psalm because he proclaims who God is and he, he has confidence in what God has done. He has an experience to go with it, but it is because God is by his side, because God is the one he seeks counsel from, that he will not be shaken, that he has a firm foundation. David then starts to go on and, and he starts to summarize, essentially, this experience of faith. He goes back to that. And he says, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. He, my flesh also dwells secure. This, this joy, this gladness, this joy um, is just amazing. It is where, he has joy in where he has taken refuge that's the first verse. I've taken refuge in you, O Lord. It's in that that he has joy. He has joy in the constant presence that is next to him, in God's counsel in his life. It's in that that he has joy. And his whole being rejoices. This is not just a superficial, I raise my hands when I sing. This is a, everything I do is because of the Lord, and every aspect of who I am is because of the Lord, and I proclaim him through my life. Proclaim him 
through the words I use. I proclaim him through how I live. And I rejoice. This is just a joy that is amazing. And he, he is because of the joy that he fled to protection and because of the good that God has done to him. We see that in verses 5 to 8. Those are, those are kind of all the, you know, the blessings that God gave to the nation, the counsel that he gives. Those are the things that, see, that David sees joy in. And he sees all of this, and because of that, his flesh dwells secure. This, uh, this flesh dwelling secure starts talking about like the here and now that he is secure because of the Lord. Because he's going to go on and he's going to talk about the kind of afterlife. Because he next goes, and for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to death or let your Holy One see corruption. David relies on the promises of God and he says, you won't abandon me to death. Though I will die, I will not be abandoned. I will not be left. And this, this corruption and this abandonment is a total separation from God. This is the, the fear that David really starts giving to the unbelievers, that you will no longer be in God's presence. We have a measure of blessing on earth, whether just humanity in general, whether believers or non-believers. And that will completely be separated once Christ comes again. And this is the promise that David says is, you will not abandon me. I know that. And how will you not abandon me? Because you will not let your Holy One see corruption. This is where David starts looking to the future. David is saying, because I know that the Messiah will not see corruption, he will not see separation from God, I, can follow that, I know that the Lord will follow through on all the promises he gave to his people. Because that was the promise, was that the Lord would renew the, and redeem humanity through the Messiah, and he would restore that relationship that was corrupted by sin. And that relationship is what separates us from God. That, is, that, that sin has put a wall between us and the Lord, and that has what led to physical death, and it leads, leads to the corruption or the separation of us from God, both here and now and after death. However, David says, I know you will not abandon me. It's a firm belief. There's no doubt in his mind. The reason there's no doubt is because he will not let his Holy One see corruption. That God will do these things. And that is a kind of a powerful motivation. This is where we see, again, back to Acts. This is where this was not fully understood until Christ came, died, and rose from the dead. Once, once that happened, this psalm was greater, like the understanding of the psalm, just all of a sudden, the apostles were like, get it. Because they didn't even understand really where, def, where David was referencing when they were reading this growing up. But then when they saw the glory of the Lord unfold before them, they saw that God wasn't going to make this abandonment. This was known to be true. It wasn't just words that were said. It wasn't a song that just was sung in the temple and they hoped that it was true. Now there's firm evidence that it is true. 
I think that's something that we can all have confidence in now as well, is that God has done this already. God has made this psalm true, and we, we can see it from the future and see that David knew already. I think it's one of those questions that people always ask. I mean, while we're going through CE and we're, what are the questions that people ask? The question of, well, what about the Old Testament believers? What about those that didn't know who Jesus was? Well, they were looking forward to Jesus. They were looking forward to Christ, and David shows that right here, and he says, look, I know it's coming. I know he's coming. I know that you will not abandon him, and because of that, I have confidence that you will not abandon me either. I think that's just a powerful image that David really shows us, especially in the way that he says that. And he goes on, and he, he starts looking at the path of life. He starts looking at the fullness of joy. And he says, there are pleasures forevermore at God's right hand. This last verse is really a summary of what is to come. This is the summary of, of, I know these things are true in verse 10. I know that you will not abandon me. And here's what's going to happen. You have paths of life. You have pleasures forevermore. These are the pleasures that we found at God's hand. They are the pleasures that we found in his presence only when we are in the new heavens and the new earth. But these are the promises that God gave and these are the promises that are made manifest because of everything else that David has said. These are the experiences of his faith that he knows are true. And these are the things that have not yet happened. I mean, verses 9 to 11 they, they really haven't happened yet when David wrote this. This is the confidence of what the Lord is going to do. They are the confidence of what he has promised, made manifest, and we see it made manifest because Christ has come. Christ has died and he did rise from the dead. He fulfilled that really, verse 10, that God would not let his Holy One see corruption. And because of that, he has made known the path of life. In his presence, there is joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Because of the understanding that the apostles had of this psalm and, and the way they used it, we, we get to understand it as well. We get to see that Christ was the object of this psalm. That this is what David was writing about. And some 2,000 years ago, when Peter stood up and he preached these very words, and he said, this is the truth that happened. You have put him to death, but God saw him to raise him from the dead. This Jesus of Nazareth. This is the truth that David was looking forward to, and that he really makes evident in this last verse. I had a, uh, one of the uh, theologians summed it up this way. This verse speaks also in the comprehensive expressions. Viewed in the light of the New Testament contains a clear prediction of the eternal joy of life received in Christ through his resurrection and further of the eternal bliss of all who are in Christ. It's kind of a good summary of everything that when we look back at this psalm and we see it through the lens of knowing Christ, 
which I think is where we, we have a more intimate knowledge than David had, but David had a, a lens of knowing Christ. And there was a time in between where other than the prophecies and other than the, the actual just, I know that he's coming, there was no intimate knowledge of who Christ was. There was no intimate knowledge. There was no, even like, and you can evidently see it when Christ is here because he was not recognized. They were probably singing this psalm in the temple. And they didn't recognize who Christ was. They, they didn't understand these joy, this, this pleasure, this just great pleasures that he has given to us through Christ. I think that's where we stand today is when we look back, do, do we follow this? Can we have confidence in the Lord in our life the way that David did? Is it evident in our life the way that it was in David's? Do we have, those, we have those experiences to go along, but do they show in our life the way that David proclaims them in this psalm? Do we proclaim the Lord the way that he did? Do we say, he sits at my hand, right hand. I always set him before me. He, he has to be the object. We have to have nothing to do with idols, nothing to do with the things that separate us and keep us away from God. And David proclaims the Lord and says, I want nothing to do with these idols, these other gods. And then David looks to the future and says, I have this joy, this pleasure forevermore because of what God has done. And we know that to be true. Do our lives reflect that? Does God's joy abound in our lives? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ who has come, who has given us the truth of this psalm. We know that we have eternal bliss in you, both here and now and in the kingdom to come. We know that your presence will be made manifest in our presence. That not only have you indwelled us with the Holy Spirit, but someday we will get to be physically with you in heaven. That we will see your glory, not just in the way that you interact with the world today, but physically before us. We get to rejoice in that. So as we continue to sing about your blessings today, let let us just raise up hearts to you. Let us think about these things, about the blessings you have given us, about the way that you have proclaimed yourself to us through your scripture, through Christ here on earth, and through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.